Well, good evening, Australia, and hello to the rest of the world. Welcome to Under the Wire, your home for censored and suppressed information about vaccination and health. I just had a bit of a strange issue with Restream, which has never happened before. I went live and it disconnected straight away and said that the um, event had already taken place. So I have no idea what happened. I've reset it up, I've duplicated it, and I'm hoping that people will be able to find me um, wherever I'm actually streaming right now on Facebook or Odyssey or Cloud Hub. Uh, I don't know what happened, but I can see some eyes coming on. So welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for coming on. We have, as always, a, an action-packed show this evening. Um, we are going to be covering an awful lot of issues, mostly about coronavirus, but a few other things as well. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, and if you can share this while you're watching it, that would be fantastic. Hi, Julia. Um, because I know that uh, Facebook and their censors just love to suppress anything that the AVN or Under the Wire does. And for those of you who don't know, Under the Wire um, is actually my show at this point in time. And um, But I am always, always a supporter of the AVN. And of course, as their president right now, I would be a supporter of the AVN and as the person who founded the organization. So um, without further ado, I'm going to get right down to it. Last Sunday, I mentioned that the Vaxxed bus will be on the road again uh, in February. Actually, February 3rd, we will be in Tasmania. We're, we're sailing from the mainland across to Devonport on the 3rd of February, and we're going to be touring the island until the 27th. We extended the tour by a bit over a week so we could get to see more places and more people in Tassie. And I was going to have the booking forms up on the website by Friday, but the best laid plans of mice and men, um, what's happened is we have to pare down the locations just a little bit because in, I don't know how many days, 26 or 27 days, uh, we probably have 50 some odd locations that we're supposed to be visiting and that's not working. Sorry, I don't know why the sound is low. I'm going to turn it up. Thank you for letting me know, Deb. Tell me if that's any better. Hopefully it is. Um, so, um, so we are having a meeting on Tuesday night, and hopefully by Wednesday we will have the, or Wednesday or Thursday this week, we'll have the booking form up on the website. When that happens, we would love it if everyone who sees it could possibly share it with anyone they know in Tasmania. Um, because that's the best way for people to find out where we're going to be. Um, so, Linda, are you in Alberta? I'm going to be talking about Alberta a little bit, a bit later on. Hopefully the sound is better now, I'm hoping. Um, so, I just want to let you all know I did promise that the booking form would be on the website by Friday, but that's going to be delayed just a little bit. Oh, great, Julia. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, so, just keep an ear out. And if you are not already subscribed to the AVN's free email newsletter, uh, that's where you'll be getting all this information. So go to avn.org.au. Thank you, Loris. I appreciate that. And, um, and when you go there, there's a book, a form. There's a form that you can fill in with your email address and that will um, sign you up automatically to our free email newsletter. And we will be sending out the link to the booking 
form as soon as it's available. And um, if you are in Tasmania and you would like to help out with finding locations or helping at the sites when the bus gets there, you know, doing our sales, helping set up, being a gopher to get us lunch if we're really busy, um, that would be fantastic. I, we would really appreciate it. Um, just send an email to vaxedbus, V-A-X-X-E-D-B-U-S, at avn.org.au and let us know where you are, what your phone number is, and, um, and what you'd like to offer to help with. Uh, we would love to get as many people down there involved as possible. It's going to be an amazing tour. And with your help, it's going to be super duper amazing. So um, in, in support of our Vaxxed tour in Tasmania, which is probably going to be one of our more expensive tours just from the cost of the ferry over, um, we are putting on a trivia night, which is one of my favorite things to do. I've never put one on, but I've been to so many of them on January 13th in northern New South Wales on the far north coast, very close to the Queensland border. Um, we are right now looking for donations of prizes uh, from anyone who would like to donate. We will read your name um, or your company name off um, as a supporter on the night. So it's a way of advertising as well as a way of helping the AVN. If you have something you'd like to donate, whether it be a physical thing, um, a basket of fruit or uh, some skin care or a service like a massage or uh, a, a treatment of some kind, something along those lines. Again, that email address to let us know is vaxedbus, V-A-X-X-E-D-B-U-S, at avn.org.au and we will be sending out a newsletter tomorrow with the details of the um, the location of the trivia night um, that we're going to have on, on January 13th, lucky 13th. So please keep that in mind. If you have anything that you would like to donate, uh, please let us know. There will be food, there'll be coffee and tea on the evening, and there will be a lot of fun. Um, I happen to absolutely adore trivia nights and I go to all of them that I can and I'm going to go to this one. We have to thank Rube's Flyers for actually running this trivia night for the AVN. Um, they've done quite a few trivia nights around the area and they're going to be doing this one for us as well. They're making up a special list of questions for us and um, it's going to be a fantastic night. So please come along. Um, we don't, I don't remember how many people on a team. It's either going to be six or eight. But get your teams together early. Come and see us on the night and have a ball with us. We're all going to have a good time. One more um, item to cover before I get to the actual meat of tonight's show. And that is Substack. For those of you who don't know, um, I have, and probably for about six months now, I've been writing fairly regularly on a substack called Informed Choice, and it's informedchoice um, forward slash substack.com. I do have a link in the show notes. Uh, right now, until the end of the year, I've put annual memberships on sale for 50% off. So you're not going to get a better deal than that. So if you would like to support what I'm doing and also um, be invited to special subscriber-only events, get subscriber-only um news and uh, just basically help 
the Substack to continue and publish regularly, um, please go to that web address. Uh, but use the link that's in the show notes at the very top here, because that's the link that'll give you the 50% off. So it's normally $70 a year, it's $35 a year now. So as I said, you're not going to get a better deal than that. And it's only on until the 31st of December. So don't delay, uh, sign up for Substack now. All right, so I'm going to get into quite a few different topics tonight. As I said, most of them are about COVID. And the first one I want to talk about is the supposed efficacy or effectiveness of the vaccine or the, I don't even want to call it a vaccine because it isn't the experimental gene modification injection, which is what it is. It is a gene um, therapy. It's a genetically modified organism, as Julian Gillespie says, and um, it is not at all a vaccine. From the beginning, we were told that this was going to prevent COVID, that only the unjabbed were going to get COVID. The ones who've taken the jab were going to be protected. And it's turned out to be exactly the opposite. It's the people who've had the jab. Um, thank you, Linda. That's lovely. And yeah, da I'm going to talk about Danielle Smith a little later on. When I think of her, it gives me hope for the future. So thank you. And I'm so glad that Alberta's finally um, having great leadership. So um, I want to just show this very quick video clip that shows the headlines in the newspapers. And I think there's some television headlines here too about how the effectiveness of COVID jabs were uh, inflated from the very beginning. It's only a quick one. the propaganda that we've been hit with from the very beginning, 100% effective. You know what? Every vaccine, when it's being hyped, is 100% effective. And then in the real world, we find out that it's not quite that good. Well, 
with the COVID jabs, it's worse than that because what they're finding is negative efficacy, which means that the people who are getting the jab are actually more likely to get COVID than the people who are unjabbed. The people who haven't taken the jab, for the most part, seem to be the ones who have come through the scandemic without problems. It's the ones who've had the jab, sadly, who have had all kinds of issues, including death, very, very sadly. And we have a cohort of people in Australia, in the United States, in the UK, around the world, the children and the young adults, their risk from COVID is infinitesimal. Unless they have serious underlying issues, they are not going to die from COVID and they are not even going to have serious symptoms. They're going to have sniffles. It's going to be the common cold, which is really what COVID is. Um, but despite this, in Australia, we've approved in August these jabs for children aged six months to five years. And I have shared a link in the show notes to uh, a, an interview that took place just this evening between the Children's Health Defense, Polly Tommy, who I adore uh, from the Vaxxed Movement, uh, representing the Children's Health Defense, uh, interviewed Peter Pham and Julian Gillespie, two of the three uh, solicitors. Um, Julian is actually a retired barrister, but two of the three people who have been working tirelessly on our case. And the reason there is an urgency with this case is because we need to save the children. Basically, we need to save the children. There are children dying and becoming permanently injured because of these bioweapons that are being injected into them. Um, and we need to stop this. Younger and younger children are getting more and more jabs. Ben Swan, who is a true journalist, an investigative journalist in the United States, says, why would the CDC add COVID vaccines to the childhood vaccination schedule while other countries are banning COVID shots for people aged 30 and younger. And Denmark, for example, has actually banned um, the mRNA uh, jabs for anyone under the age of 50. So it's even uh, a, a bigger age group that's been banned for. And the question remains, why are we doing this? There is no scientific or medically logical reason for this to be done. Um, it's either, and I hate to say this, it's either because the money is more important than the children or there actually is an attempt to, um, to make sure that, that children and adults are killed. And I am going to be sharing something on my Substack tomorrow. I've been working on it over the weekend uh, about exactly that subject. Um, showing that Deagle, which I think that you, some of you may have seen, it's a military analyst organization, analysis organization, and the World Health Organization have both been predicting for some time uh, a decline in population in some countries as high as 80% by 2025, 10 million people in Australia, down from 26 million, 100 million or 150 million, I can't remember exactly, in the United States. How did they know this was going to be happening by 2025? And where are they getting this information from? Was this a plan to actually reduce the population? Or were they just taking a wild stab in the dark? I don't know. But I'll leave it up to you. And I will be writing about this on my Substack tomorrow. So, um, in the UK, 
where they were not giving infants the COVID jabs, the, um, the health regulators have now said that they would like to give the, uh, the jabs to children, infants as young as six months. And you know that if the health regulators say this is what they want, then that's what they're going to get what they want. Um, the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency, MHRA, um, has uh, authorized the vaccine made by Pfizer for children aged six months to four years after it was deemed safe and effective based on ongoing clinical trials involving 4,526 participants. Now, I want you to know there have been no clinical trials of this jab. Before it was released, it was tested on eight mice. That's it, eight mice. And based on that, they're giving it to every single baby and child in Australia, in the United States, and now in the UK very soon. And in the United States, which has had this on the schedule, on the children's schedule for quite some time, the Food and Drug Administration has now expanded the childhood schedule to include the new bivalent jab, which covers two strains of COVID. So you have twice the number of strains, uh, still just as ineffective and potentially more dangerous, but certainly more expensive. So the pharmaceutical industry is laughing all the way to the bank and the Food and Drug Administration, who basically works for the pharmaceutical industry, um, is basically just doing their job for their employers, which is not the people of the United States. It is the pharmaceutical industry. Um, the one ray of hope I see at this article is the vast majority of children in this age group have not received any doses of COVID-19 vaccines. And that shows you that parents are a hell of a lot smarter than the CDC and the media give them credit for. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's a good thing. It's a ray of hope that potentially um, the children are being protected because their parents are simply not giving them up to the doctors to get them jabbed. Now, there have been a lot of stories that have come out this last week. Um, in the United States, there was a three-hour-plus uh, hearing. Uh, Senator Ron Johnson, I think his name is, uh, had Peter McCullough and Ryan Cole and quite a few different uh, luminaries in this area testifying about problems with the COVID jabs. As well, they heard from people who had had serious reactions and were suffering as a result of taking the jab. It was a, a brilliant three hours, and I highly recommend that everybody watch it. The High Wire has the entire um, thing archived on their website, and I believe that they're in the process of making um, each individual person into a separate video so they can be shared easily. So go to highwire.com and, um, and you can watch this. So uh, what has been happening, and this is not new, this came out over a year ago, but one of the people who testified is a doctor who works with the Department of Defense. And over a year ago, she became a whistleblower and she found that there was a 40% increase in mortality, deaths from all causes in the 18 to 46, I think it is, age group. And she said if there was a 10% increase in that age group, that would be considered a once in 200 year event. Uh, it would indicate a nuclear accident or it would indicate some real disaster. 
having a 40% increase in what is the most, the healthiest and the youngest age group uh, amongst the working population is a disaster for a nation. I'm going to play this very quick montage for you. All cause morbidity mortality, 10%, just like an unprecedented, catastrophic, you know, natural event or something that happened in the United States. U.S. life insurance companies have reported an overwhelming and unexplainable increase in all cause deaths among 18 to 49 year olds. 40% is, no one's even, no one's even calculated that. I mean, that, that's never been uh, factored into what things would look like. It's apocalyptic. In my 15 years as a doctor taking care of soldiers, I have never seen this litany of debilitating and potentially deadly medical conditions in soldiers. These conditions included strokes, transit ischemic attacks, pericarditis, myocarditis, erratic heart rates, arrhythmias, rapid onset and progression of various cancers to include testicular cancer, esophageal cancer, brain tumors, neuroendocrine tumors, spinal tumors, thyroid dysfunction, multiple sclerosis, cognitive impairment, persistent severe insomnia, suppression of the immune system, unprovoked blood clots in the splenic and portal vein, avascular necrosis, liver dysfunction, menstrual irregularities, and miscarriages. Well, I think if you look at the 5.3.6 post-marketing analysis report, the 1,291 adverse events, I don't think those came as diagnostic tests. I think they came as confirmatory tests. You ordered a product, you wanted the product to kill people. Hey, stockholders, we got exactly what you ordered. Fourth shot, Borla, of the CEO of Pfizer. Good yes. for CBS, good for Walmart, good for your health. When I reached out to Army Public Health Command and numerous senior medical and operational leaders about my safety concerns, I was ignored. Threats against my career were made, but no appropriate actions were taken to fully investigate the number and scope of adverse medical events after COVID vaccines. What I was here today to speak about truly was the weaponization of public health. Oh, I forgot to mention, I'm also a whistleblower. <laughs> That's my... That person, that person... Okay, so did you hear what she said, um, what that doctor said? She said that the, the, um, the goal was to kill as many people as possible with these jabs, and they have achieved that goal. Uh, we know that the jabs are killing people. We do. The government is pretending they don't know, but they do. They know exactly what they're doing. The media knows. The pharmaceutical industry certainly knows. The doctors at the coalface probably haven't got a clue for the most part. And if they do know, they are choosing to protect their careers over the health of their patients, and that's unforgivable. Um, yep, and when you're absolutely true, uh, until the jabs are stopped, the deaths will not stop. And the problem is that we are only just starting to see the beginning of these deaths. These deaths are not only going to continue, they're going to accelerate while people get more and more of these in, um, experimental genetic modification injections. And that's why we really need to stop this. And the only way we can stop it is to get enough people to say no. Um, in New York, uh, just yesterday, I think it was, 
Uh, they're talking about a trifecta of infections. Uh, they're now saying that people have to go back to wearing masks because they have uh, it's going it's going into winter in the U.S. Uh, it's December, so it's getting cold, and they are um, they're talking about COVID, influenza, and RSV or respiratory syncytial virus, which is another common cold virus for God's sake. So you have the flu, and two common cold viruses, and they want people to go back to wearing not only ineffective masks, but masks that are counterproductive because they increase the risk of infections. They don't decrease them. But as long as people are going to say yes, as long as people are going to comply, they will get away with this. Now, I covered this on my Substack too. This is an article from the Children's Health Defense. And if you don't subscribe to the Children's Health Defense, you're missing a lot. You really are, because they have every single day, they have fabulous, fabulous articles. There was a German study, um, and it was actually a really good study. Uh, in Australia, in the United States, autopsies are hardly ever done. In Germany, they have done autopsies, not as many as they should, but they have been doing some autopsies. And what they found was that there is a causal link between getting the COVID jab and deaths from myocarditis or some cardiac condition. Um, and they have proven this in a certain number of people. It was only a small number that they looked at. But in that small number, there were three people um, who they absolutely say the COVID jab led to their deaths. And we see this around us all the time. We see if we watch the news at all, which I don't do, but you know, if you hear news stories, if you look at news headlines, you see people who've died unexpectedly. You see people getting sick and almost to the person, these people have been jabbed either just recently or within a very, very short space of time. And, you know, studies like this that have come out are very influential because, like I said, it is a really good study, good science. You can't really attack it because it's simply reporting what happened. And um, when these things start piling up, when the evidence becomes overwhelming, um, it's going to be impossible to cover it up anymore, and I'm waiting for this to happen. Uh, yes, Mitchell, I saw that too. Now they're trying to say COVID causes clots. They are giving people blood thinners. I spoke to a lovely girl today, a nurse. She has no idea what's going on. You can't believe it. I'm looking for work as I lost my job of 24 years. I'm sorry. Most jobs require the shot. It's crazy. Thank you for your dedication. That's fine, Mitchell. You know... <laughs> It's not only are they saying that COVID causes blood clots, but COVID causes heart attacks, COVID causes Bell's palsy, COVID causes all these things. Long COVID is not caused by COVID. Long COVID is an, a reaction to the COVID jab. What they're doing is they are deflecting. They're saying, don't look there, look here. Um, we are saying that the COVID infections are causing all these problems when the evidence is showing that's not the case. There was a very large study out of Israel that showed that COVID infections had absolutely no link with heart attacks, um, but the COVID jabs had a very strong causal link with heart attacks. So um, it's just that they are trying their hardest because they know they're losing 
the hearts and minds of the population, and it's not before time either. Um, in, in Melbourne, uh, this story came out. This is from my Substack. This story came out a few days ago. Um, there have been uh, up to 100 children waiting in the emergency department of, I forget which hospital it is. It's in Melbourne, um, Melbourne Royal Children's Hospital. There have been up to 100 children in the emergency department waiting hours and hours to be seen. And what they were, the media was actually asking, why is this happening? Why are we seeing these long lines of people not being seen? And the spokesperson for the hospital, the chief executive, Bernadette McDonald, said, we do have up to 120 of our staff unavailable to work each day. This is not a one-off. Each day at the moment due to COVID. They're either COVID positive or COVID clo close contacts. Now, in order to work in a hospital in Victoria, you need to have had at least three jabs. So um, these people who are out because of COVID have had three jabs. Uh, in addition, the thing about uh, close contacts, that doesn't make sense because as far as I know, a few months ago, uh, being a close contact was no longer a reason for someone to take time off work or, or isolate or quarantine. Um, we changed that a while ago. So I think she's playing a bit fast and loose here. So we have children who are waiting in the hospital emergency department. Why so many children? And it's summertime now. So what McDonald said is, we have been experiencing challenges for quite some time, probably since winter, if I'm honest, she said, if she's honest. McDonald said several factors were contributing to the issues, beginning with demand in the emergency department, not decreasing as it usually would coming into summer. So in the winter, kids probably get sicker, just like adults get sicker. You're more likely to have a cold or flu or anything because it's cold and your immune system may be more suppressed, especially if you're jabbed. But in the summertime, with increased vitamin D, with being outside more, uh, you are less likely to be sick. They are saying that it's unusual, but these uh, children are not, the, the number of children coming in are not decreasing from their high in winter. Why is that? Do you think it might have something to do with the fact that kids are now getting these COVID bioweapons injected into them? Hmm, I don't know. And as Wen said, and I agree with her, I would never, ever take my kids to those death places. The only way that I ever took a child to a hospital emergency department was when they had broken bones. And that's the only time that I ever would take it, uh, my kids there. So... Um, yeah, I agree with you, Wen. I would not take my children into a hospital, and I would not take myself into a hospital either. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, Linda, I think it's Linda who's in Alberta. Yes. Uh, I, wanted, I already mentioned this, I think, a couple of weeks ago, but Alberta had a new premier who was elected probably two months ago now. Um, her name is Danielle, I forget her surname, and she is Danielle Smith. How could I forget Smith? And she is a breath of fresh air in Canada, in Trudeau's Canada, of all places. Um, and one of the first interviews that she had after she was uh, put into office was 
um, talking about the unvaccinated, and she said they are the most discriminated against group that she knows of. And I happen to agree. Anyone who's lived through this last three years, going on three years, without taking the COVID jab, um, without masking, without social distancing, without signing in with a QR code, um, knows exactly what discrimination is like. Um, we are the Jews of society today, and the governments that we're living under are the new um, axis of evil, the uh, Nazi administrations. So she is um, publicizing the fact that she believes that people who haven't taken the jab were incredibly discriminated against. I do think that when the smoke clears over this, we are going to be the superheroes of the world because we held the line when so many other people unfortunately gave in, whether willingly or because they were forced, because they had to have a job, because they couldn't work or put food on their tables or pay their rent if they didn't take these jabs. Um, and some of us were able to resist this and some of us were not. And Roscoe said, the only pandemic I see is a plague of liars. And that's true because if you look at hospitalizations and deaths in 2020, before the jab was available, we were down like 20% in Australia. It was ridiculous. We had uh, and it was, you know, the government was saying, oh, it's because of locking down. People aren't going out. They're not mixing. I say bullshit. Sorry. Um, it's because we were not taking the jabs. There can be a certain number of people who would have died in road accidents or um, other things like that if they'd been going out. But you cannot possibly have such a large decrease in mortality and morbidity um, during a pandemic, a deadly pandemic. But then as soon as the jabs came out, the mortality and morbidity shot up like crazy. So it has nothing to do with that. So I applaud Danielle Smith. I think that Albertans are incredibly lucky. And um, thank you, Susan. Thank you for joining us tonight. And I do think that we're going to be seeing more and more of this. I mentioned very briefly the... Um, the committee in the Senate that heard all of these experts in, in, in a three-hour meeting. Right after that, the House of Representatives in the United States passed by a, an enormous margin um, a bill that would end the COVID jab mandate for the military. Um, this was huge. I don't know if it's going to get through the Senate, and if it does, um, Biden or his puppeteer uh, may very well veto it. But the fact that it passed, I think it was 350 to 80 or something ridiculous like that. The fact that it passed by such a big margin immediately following um, this, this meeting of all the experts and the people who'd been um, injured by the jabs shows that we are having an effect. And um, the election of Danielle Smith is another piece of evidence there that, that things are changing. This article came out in the Daily Fail, as I prefer to call it, the Daily Mail this week. The I think that says the 8th of December. I should have brought my glasses in, shouldn't I? Um, it says COVID vaccine snobbery revealed in a huge global study. They're calling it snobbery. It's not snobbery. It's bullying. It's abuse. Um, global study from December 2021 to February 22 revealed COVID jab snobbery. 500 Aussies among 15,000 surveyed on attitudes to vaxxed and unvaxxed people 
found that unvaxxed people experienced worse discrimination than the vaccinated. Do you think? Really? Um, the Danish-led global study did not examine attitudes to vaccine effectiveness. That was a little bit of a, um, uh, a, a, you know, they missed out there. And what they found is that the people who chose not to take the jab suffered from the people who they were around. The unvaccinated were abused by their friends, by their families, by their workplaces. And the media and the government are responsible for this. The Daily Mail, the ones who are out there calling us names were the ones who were responsible. And in some cases, these people who are responsible suffered the ultimate price. Um, this is one person I'd like to share this story with you. This is Grant Wall. He was a, um, a reporter, a sports reporter for an American network. Um, and this came out in April 2021, thrilled to get my first Pfizer COVID vaccine dose, science. Um, he wouldn't know science if it bit him in his butt. And I don't like to talk ill of the dead, but um, to me, this kind of, of, I guess, targeting of people is part of the problem. Not, I don't know how much longer down the track Grant Wool um, tweeted this on his Twitter account. If you're unvaccinated at this point, you're asking to be hospitalized or worse. Okay, um, he can believe that if he wants to. But what happened just a couple of days ago was that Grant Wool was reporting in Argentina from the World Cup. And while he was reporting, he had a massive, we think it was a heart attack. I don't think they have the uh, final cause of death yet, but he died while he was reporting. Um, he collapsed. They tried to revive him, but they were unable to. He was 48 years old. His brother, I saw it was heartbreaking. His brother believes that the reason that Grant died was that he was murdered because uh, his brother is gay and Grant was wearing a uh, a rainbow shirt and supposedly there was a lot of angst over that. I don't believe that. I don't know how many jabs this guy had, but when you drop dead and die suddenly in this day and age, um, in general, there's only one reason for that. And I don't know for sure. Nobody will know for sure because they're not going to even investigate it, are they? But um, it's it's one of those things that... When someone dies suddenly, the first thing that I and many other people think is how long since they've had their last jab. Bronwyn says, this issue has split our family. Mine too, Bronwyn, and it's very painful, very, very painful to go through this. Um, I, I know exactly where you're coming from, and it's terrible. And I blame this on the media and the government because they intentionally um, fomented hatred and fear of the people who were perfectly healthy but simply unjabbed. And as a result of that, we're seeing situations like this one in the United States. Duke University, um, which is in, I think, North Carolina. Yep, North Carolina. Uh, this is a young girl, Yulia. She was an orphan who was adopted out of the Ukraine by a family. She's one of 11 children that this family has. And Yulia has an issue with her kidney and she needs a kidney transplant. She's on dialysis now, and her dialysis is at Duke. And she, they found a donor for her. They were going ahead with the surgery until it was discovered that Yulia had not received any COVID jabs. This 14-year-old 
is now being denied life-saving surgery. She needs a kidney or she will die. Um, she can only stay on dialysis for so long. You can't live on it for the rest of your life. So there is a donor for her, and her parents were happy to have the surgery done. Most of the doctors in the hospital were happy to have the surgery done, but a committee of Nazis in the hospital decided that unless she followed orders, uh, they were not going to do the surgery. And basically, they, they didn't say this in so many words, but the intention was either you do as we are telling you or you can die. And to me, the idea that anyone who calls themselves a health professional, medicine used to be a caring art. Um, it used to be about the patient. It's no longer about the patient. It's about the doctor's ego. It's about um, the standard of care treatments that doctors are being told they have to give. And um, yes, I agree when the doctors and nurses did it for the money. Um, complicit evil POS. I agree. I absolutely agree. So we don't know what's going to happen. The family is trying to raise enough money to find another hospital. They may have to go out of the United States. It sounds insane in order to find a doctor who's willing to operate on their daughter and save her life. Um, and this is not an unusual story in today's world, sadly. There are many cases of people who've been denied transplants or other medical treatment because of their jab status. And I believe um, not long ago, there was someone, another young person who actually died waiting for a heart. Um, they had a donor for their heart and uh, they were not able to get a heart transplant. Um, because they were not jabbed against COVID. And when you think about the risk, the known risk to people who have underlying heart conditions from getting any of these COVID jabs, um, it, it's, it's like willful murder. It really is. And that takes us to New Zealand and Baby W. Um, this again is an article from my Substack from a couple of days ago. Societies will be judged by how they treated the most vulnerable. Um, in New Zealand, there's a four-month-old little boy whose name is Will. They called him Baby W because they were supposed to protect his identity. But, but all around the Internet, everybody knows his name is Will. And Will is one of a twin, um, one twin. And his parents have Will, his twin brother, and an older toddler. And Will has a congenital heart problem, which is not rare, but he requires surgery. Um, and... In order to get the surgery, he will be needing a blood transfusion. I think they do it while they perform the surgery. And his parents requested that the blood come from someone who had not received a COVID jab. Um, and he, this, the doctors refused to do that. They had no reason to refuse to do that because the parents had actually found quite a few people who were willing to donate, who, whose blood matched their baby's blood and who were willing to donate and had not taken the jab. The hospital refused to do this. They went to court and the court actually gave custody of the child. They made this baby a ward of the state and gave custody of the child to, as far as I know, to the hospital. And this way the hospital could decide what the baby was going to be, what was going to be done to this baby. The idea of that as a mother 
I, I can't even begin to think how these parents feel having lost control over their precious, precious baby. Who loves that baby more, the judge, the hospital, or the parents? I mean, give you one guess. It's the parents, of course. So what happened was um, the, the parents, they knew that their child needed this surgery. From what I understand, um, a second opinion has been sought from two very top um, pediatric uh, cardiac surgeons in the United States, and both of them said that this is not an emergency, that this baby can continue. He's not um, distressed. He's not uh, blue. He's not having oxygen deprivation. He can continue until he's a little bit older, and the surgery might even be safer then. But the hospital wanted to get it done straight away, and since they've been given control of this child, um, they their their way goes and they said that the parents were basically crazy because you can't get sick from jabbed blood and therefore they were not going to abide by the parents wishes even though there are several cases where people have become ill after being transfused with blood from someone who had been jabbed because whatever was in the jab, we know that the spike protein and the lipid nanoparticles can persist in the jabbed person for a long time. Nobody knows how long, but it's a long time. Um, and this was a story that was shared on Died Suddenly News, which is on Facebook. Um, this is my son before and after he got a blood transfusion of poisoned blood. We begged the hospital to let us get pure blood, exactly like the parents in New Zealand. They refused and gave the blood to him without our consent, again, like the parents in New Zealand. He developed a blood clot instantly that stretched from his knee to his heart. He made it two weeks before he died. So are the parents crazy for wanting to avoid this situation? And who will be culpable should something go wrong. The only good thing is, and um, yeah, uh, Tracy said exactly what I was about to say. Will has had the surgery. They sneaky behind the scenes got unvaxxed blood. I don't know if we're ever going to know this, but I can tell you that if I was an administrator in that hospital or one of the surgeons who was performing this surgery, I would do anything. I would move heaven and earth to make sure that the blood that this little baby got was from someone who hadn't gotten the jab. Because if something went wrong, if this baby got a clot, if this baby developed um, pericarditis or myocarditis, had any kind of problem that could have been associated with um, blood from a COVID jabbed person, there would be hell to pay. My belief is the reason that the hospital made such a big deal out of this is because they wanted to make an example of these parents. They wanted to say, you see, you think that you have a right to say what happens with your child. You think you can say that this blood from someone who's gotten a jab is dangerous, but we are telling everyone that it's perfectly safe because if we admit that the blood is dangerous, then we are admitting that the jab is dangerous and we can't possibly do that. So they set an example of baby W, of Will, um, by actually doing this. And on this Substack post, there is 
a, a video of the uh, that when the when the people came in and grabbed. I don't even want to call them people because they're not human. Um, there were five policemen and one person from the hospital. And in the video, the parents um, of Will were sitting there talking to two policemen. It was quiet. It was calm. Their son was going to have the surgery the next day. And they were all together. She was with her baby. Her husband was with the baby. And they were very calm and peaceful. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, three other policemen walk into the room with someone from the hospital. And they just go over to the cot and they pick up the baby. And the mother starts crying. And the father says, what are you doing? And that was it. They had no say. The people took that baby away. The mother was in tears. She was actually hysterical. I read a post this morning um, by someone who lives in New Zealand, Sasha, and I cannot pronounce her last name. And she has been in contact with the solicitor uh, for the family. I've tried to get the solicitor on the show and I will try, keep trying. Hopefully I'll get her this week. But what happened was the mother was so distraught um, about not being with her baby just before the surgery. Um, she'd been up for over 24 hours at that point, not sleeping, as you can imagine. And she just wanted to be with her baby to comfort him. And they finally relented and allowed the mother to go into the room where the baby was. But they would not allow her to hold him. When the baby tried to call to the mother, they would not allow her to go near this baby. Can you imagine? This baby's about to have very traumatic surgery and they're traumatizing him further. And not only that, they told the mother, they wouldn't allow the father in the room at all. So it was only the mother. I mean, these arbitrary rules, who the hell are they helping? They're not helping the baby. They're not helping the family. They are sadistic bastards, excuse the expression, but they really are. And so the mother was in the room alone. The father was not allowed to be in the room. There were armed guards um, and the, uh, the mother was told that if her eyes closed and she fell asleep for even one minute, that she would be kicked out of the room and she wouldn't be allowed to stay there any further. You can read this substack from Sasha and that tells the whole story. It's a really good one. Um, and I have this, I forgot to tell you, I have a link at the top of the, of the show notes uh, to a WeTransfer file with all of these documents and all of these videos and much, much more. So um, go ahead and after the show is over, don't do it now because I think it'll interrupt it on your end, um, and download this file and you can actually see the substack and the link to it. Um, so the, the baby had the surgery today. I don't know any more than that. I've been trying to find out, but I don't know anything else. But the parents have been put through hell. The baby has obviously been put through hell, because if you think the baby can't pick up on the stress and the grief that this, these parents have been feeling, you're wrong. Babies are incredibly perceptive. And it was all for nothing. It was all to protect this experimental bioweapon, to make it seem that it's safe when it is absolutely unsafe. And I just want to very briefly share, I, um, I found this article from news.com.au about, um, about the Baby W case. And I just want to read a few things from this article to show you the way the media twists everything 
and turns it into something that it's not. The headline, video captures the moment baby boy taken from anti-vax parents in New Zealand blood donor battle. Anti-vax parents. Why are they anti-vax parents? Maybe they've just decided that their four-month-old, who's not even old enough to get a jab, shouldn't be exposed to it. Maybe they just decided that their already ill child who is having surgery should not be exposed to more toxins. Um, how, are, how is that anti-vax? And I'll go on here. I just want you to hear the language because the way they, the way they write this is they're pushing their agenda, their hate agenda, their agenda that is making people afraid of and hateful towards anyone who's made a different decision. Um, police, all right now, a video has emerged of the moment police intervened to allow a New Zealand baby to be taken away for pre-operation checks. Now, this baby was not, the parents were not trying to stop the baby from getting any pre-operation checks. The parents were desperate to get this baby the treatment that it needed. This is a lie, an absolute lie. Now look at this next paragraph. Four police officers in stab-proof vests. Now, they were wearing bulletproof vests. I did notice that. Did they think that the parents were going to shoot them or stab them? These parents are the most unviolent, nonviolent, the nicest people, just from everything I've seen of them. These people are not violent, though you wouldn't blame them if they were. Um, I feel a bit violent when I watched what happened. So they're, they're talking about the police wearing these stab-proof vests. The implication is that the parents were violent and, um, and therefore the police needed protection from them. And that's complete rubbish. Uh, the, the video shows an officer explaining to the parents that the baby referred to as Baby W needs the procedure as soon as possible as another walks towards the baby to take him. At this moment, Baby W's father can be heard saying, don't do that, boys. The police did not explain a damn thing. And anybody who watches that video can see. The police just come in. The woman from the hospital goes straight to the cot and picks up the baby. And then uh, the mother says, what are you doing? What are you doing? And the father says, you are criminals. You are criminals. You are conducting a criminal act here. And he's right. They are criminals. They are evil. They are cruel beyond belief. But I, I'm not going to read the whole article to you. This is in that folder. You can read it for yourself. But I did want to just point out how the same situation can be reported in two different ways. And when there is an agenda to push, and that agenda is hate towards anyone who hasn't had a jab and, um, and any sort of um, decision that's been made that is contrary to what the God doctors have said should be done, this is the way this will be written. Um, and we are seeing, I talked last week quite extensively about died suddenly and how so many people are dying without warning, just like that sports reporter just died very recently. Um, so this article is, I can't even see what newspaper that is. Um, it's too small, but these are, this is a, oh, I'm sorry, this is not a newspaper. This is from Mark Crispin Miller's Substack. I tell you, I read more Substacks now than I do anything else, and you get some great information there. So 
Uh, Mark Crispin Miller does uh, a weekly report called Died Suddenly, where he will go through like the United States, Europe, um, Australia, New Zealand, and pull things out of newspapers of reports of people who've died suddenly. This is not died suddenly. This is famous people, entertainers, who have canceled things because all of a sudden they become ill. Now, this is Aerosmith, Steven Tyler, battle, battling a mysterious illness. Does he not look just like Johnny Depp in Pirates of the Caribbean there? Um, so, yeah, this is someone who just had to suddenly cancel uh, concerts because they've gotten sick. Uh, Leanne Rhymes forced to schedule more shows for Bleed on vocal cord. Now, that's got to be unusual, especially for a singer. Um, Evanescence, I always loved Evanescence, cancels um, due to Amy Lee's illness. Um, so here's Evanescence is suddenly ill also. Uh, this is London-based alternative rock band Placebo. I thought that was so funny that the band's name was Placebo. We're forced to postpone the remainder of their current UK and Ireland tour after frontman Brian Molko fell sick and was described as quite unwell. I mean, people do get sick. That happens. But it's been happening a lot more often. Um, and Celine Dion, um, she, <laughs> uh, she has been diagnosed with something that I've never heard before. And it just shows you how the medical community love to give things names. Stiff person syndrome or SPS. Um, and she it says that it's incurable. And um, it's a one in a million Thing. What else is one in a million? Haven't we been told that vaccine reactions are one in a million? But we know better. And I bet we're going to be seeing a lot more stiff person syndrome because we know that Celine Dion has taken multiple COVID jabs because she's proudly, proudly crowed to the rooftops that she's done so. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> You're right, When I, I was going to say, and I decided not to, but I might say it now anyway, um, the Satanist that we all love to hate. Uh, and it's not nice to hate people, but God, this woman has, I mean, her, her children's catalogs and all that stuff. You can look it up yourself. But um, yeah, this is what's happening now. And it just shows, everybody says that the famous people have gotten the placebo and only the plebes, like, you know, the, the normal people have actually gotten the jab. But obviously quite a few famous people have gotten the jab too. So we have, we have Moderna, we have AstraZeneca, we have Novavax, but the main um, protagonist, I guess if you want to call them that, in this entire COVID uh, drama, tragedy more like it, um, is Pfizer. And Pfizer, I've talked about this before, Pfizer is not a trustworthy company. Um, in fact, if someone from Pfizer, Pfizer is moving their lips, you can know that they're lying. And I just want to go and revisit a little bit of history about Pfizer. This is a very quick um, uh, video from a few years ago. Meanwhile, major news today about the world's largest drug maker, Pfizer. The company agreed to pay $2.3 billion. That is the largest fine in history and agreed to plead guilty to charges it illegally marketed some of its products, one in particular, for unapproved uses. Here's Lisa Stark. 
Bextra was approved by the FDA to treat pain from arthritis, but the drug giant Pfizer had other ideas, pumping up its bottom line by pitching doctors to prescribe the drug for things it was never approved for, called off-label marketing. When off-label marketing like this occurs, patients' health and lives are put at risk, and those who cause that risk must be held accountable. Bextra became a blockbuster, bringing in $1.2 billion a year, as sales reps assured doctors it could be used not just for arthritis, but for any acute pain. The main whistleblower, a former company sales rep, said in a statement, at Pfizer, I was expected to increase profits at all costs, even when sales meant endangering lives. I couldn't do that. In exchange for hearing company sales pitches, doctors were paid up to $1,500 to attend meetings and were treated to conferences at lush resorts, given airfare, hotels, meals, even massages. Their job was to help Pfizer figure out how best to promote Bextra for the off-label indications. And it turned out, even when used correctly, Bextra was dangerous, linked to possible heart attacks and strokes, and pulled off the market. Although it's a record punishment, Pfizer has plenty of company. In the last eight years, drug manufacturers have paid over $11 billion in penalties for everything from off-label promotions to overcharging Medicare for drugs. There's so, so isn't it interesting that Pfizer was fined uh, for off-label prescribing, but when it came to COVID, um, and ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and zinc and vitamin C and all of these other uh, treatments that were known to be safe and known to be effective, uh, we were told that we couldn't use them because it was off-label. And that's because that off-label would affect Pfizer's bottom line adversely. This year, Pfizer is reporting a profit of $101 billion, and almost all of that comes from the COVID um, jab. But... The days of wine and roses are getting very close to being over for Pfizer and for most of the people who've been involved with this crime against humanity. Um, there is a very interesting uh, interview that Albert Borla, who is the CEO of Pfizer, gave recently. And in this interview, he appears to be running away from ever having said that the jab was either safe or effective. Does he see the writing on the wall? I'll leave it to you. All of a sudden, it looks like they're running and hiding from the vaccine. And I was surprised when they suggested to me that this is the way to go. And I questioned it. Uh, and I asked them to justify it. How can you say something like that? But they came and they were very, very convinced that this is the right way to go. They felt that the two years that uh, of war on mRNA since 2018, together with BioNTech, to uh, develop a flu vaccine, uh, made them believe that the technology is mature and we are at the cusp of uh, delivering a product. Um, so they convinced me. I, I follow my instinct that uh, they know what they are saying. They're very good. And uh, we made this very difficult. So it wasn't me. I didn't do it. I never would have approved this, but they convinced me they were so good because I trusted them. <laughs> Pull the other one, Albert. Um, I, I cannot believe that he came out and said that uh, after, for the last two years, talking up 
how effective and how safe his jab, his company's jab actually was. Uh, and I think it's too little too late. I do believe that the conversation is changing and that we are going to see uh, more and more people coming out and saying, I'm not taking that jab. I'm not taking it. And yes, uh, Laura said, all the medicos thought they had immunity. Turns out no such thing. Now, they do have immunity as long as there hasn't been any fraud involved. Once we can prove fraud, and it will not be a difficult thing, Albert Siri, not Albert Siri, what's his first name? Aaron Siri. Aaron Siri, um, who is one of the lead counsels for the Children's Health Defense in the United States, is currently filing in court to prove exactly that, that there was fraud involved. Fraud worldwide is an automatic do not pass go, do not collect $200 for any form of indemnity. So once you prove that there was fraud, the indemnity goes out the window. So um, watch this space. They are going to be paying the price. And God willing, what I really hope and pray for is that that $101 billion that, that Pfizer made, and I don't know how many billions that was made by Moderna and Johnson & Johnson, that that is going to be a drop in the bucket compared to the fines that they're going to have to pay worldwide. And every single one of these pharmaceutical companies will have to close down. And you know what? Um, there may be some people who are going to suffer, though most drugs are generic now anyway, and they can be produced by smaller companies. Um, but in the long run, we are going to be healthier, happier, and certainly more long-lived because we don't have these dangerous, ineffective drugs on the market anymore, or the companies that are pushing them and lying about their need and their effectiveness. So. Um, that's what I'm really hoping. But there are still plenty of lies out there and plenty of people who are being, um, uh, I guess the wool is being pulled over their eyes. Jessica Rose gave a recent talk about, now Jessica Rose, I interviewed her on Under the Wire a few months ago. She's a biostatistician and her specialty has been uh, following the VAERS uh, vaccine adverse events reporting system in the United States. And she's also uh, followed our DAEN in Australia, and she's found that there has been a lot of uh, playing fast and loose with the truth here. I'm just going to share this with you very briefly. We completely lost the dose three response signal, which are the blue lines, in the context of myocarditis in the foreign data set. It's gone. And you can see dose two is green, the ages on the x-axis, the absolute number of myocarditis reports in the domestic data set are on the y. And in 15-year-olds, that's surrounded by these two black lines, you can see that there's like four times more reporting in uh, these young people after dose two. And this is what I was talking about that has gone missing as a safety signal. This is distributed all across all ages from like uh, very young, it looks like, I don't know, down to five up to like 80, like everyone's covered here. So as you can see, um, those people who got myocarditis after the jab, they've just removed that information. And um, Linda's asking, what am I hearing about Canada? 
not an awful lot, except what um, I, I heard that your Danielle Smith uh, actually dismissed the entire health department and put one person in charge of the health department. That's the last thing I've heard. Uh, if you have any better information or more recent information of interest, please feel free to send it through uh, or share it in the thread. Uh, I, I would love to see it. So um, we have the information that is supposed to be set in stone. The reports of adverse reactions, the reports of deaths are being disappeared. And the same thing is happening in Australia. Um, there are people in Australia who have been downloading the DAEN database every single day. And uh, they are finding that deaths and serious reactions are just disappearing uh, after they've been reported. And this is not something that can be borne. It is not only a sign that the government is lying, but it's a sign that they know that if this information was left there, they would have to admit that there is a safety signal and they are ignoring it. This is an experimental um, technology that's never been used before. And all of the evidence showing that it's been dangerous and deadly uh, is being ignored or scrubbed. Now, this is um, written by Christine Cotton, who's a biostatistician, and she's talking about the COVID-19 vaccine clinical trial that was before the jab was actually released. And we were told, oh, this thing's been fully tested, you know, perfectly safe, perfectly effective. Um, and what she said was nothing could be further from the truth. Um, so for instance, there were some populations that were excluded from the trial. They were not tested. Uh, and they were not studied before it was released. Pregnant or breastfeeding women. Who is getting the jab? Who is being targeted? Pregnant and breastfeeding women. Why are we seeing an 80% increase in miscarriages and a, a huge decline? I don't even know what the percentage is worldwide. In fertility, perhaps it's because these people are getting the jab and it hasn't been studied. Immunocompromised patients. Now, I clearly remember before the jab was introduced that... Um, that we were being told that there could be an issue with anyone who's immunocompromised actually taking it, that it might be worse for them. But as soon as it was introduced, the elderly and the immunocompromised were the first ones targeted. Patients with comorbidities or autoimmune diseases, once again, normally never vaccinated, and yet they were targeted straight up. Uh, interaction with other vaccines, including influenza vaccines, not studied. What are we seeing this year? People are getting flu vaccines and COVID jabs at exactly the same time. Transmission was not studied. We are being told that if you don't take the jab, you're selfish and you're stupid. But we don't know. Um, well, actually, we do know. We do know that this cannot prevent transmission. Uh, and they didn't ever study it. Um, interim analysis on three-month follow-up on all studied populations, uh, simply not done, simply not published. The primary endpoint, so in other words, the goal of the vaccine was um, supposed to be prevention of COVID, prevention of hospitalizations from COVID, prevention of deaths from COVID. And instead, their primary endpoint was um, a prevention of mild disease. It, it doesn't make any sense at all. Neutralizing antibodies were not measured after two months. That is how you determine whether or not something works. Um, the, the median time for follow-up 
two months post-dose, shorter than the six months recommended. So they were supposed to follow people for six months. It is a brand new um, therapy or preventative, and they didn't do it for more than two months. And um, what came out in this, the Senate hearing a couple of days ago was that um, it's like Osvac Safety. I forget what they call it. They're, they're app that they had on a phone, 10 million people were given this app. And if you tried to report a serious reaction more than three days after getting the jab, you couldn't. It simply wouldn't accept it. They were only asking about, did you have symptoms of COVID? So yeah, it's a one size fits all um, jab. You're right, Jen, but all jabs are one size fits all. And the reason we are here today is because we ignored or allowed the the devastation to, that was being caused to our children from the childhood vaccination schedule over the last 50, 60 years. So um, we are paying the price now for not having done that before. But the good thing is that what we're seeing is that because people have become so skeptical about the COVID jabs, because they are realizing they've been lied to, and they've been harmed and people they love have been harmed and killed by these COVID jabs, they are starting to question all vaccines. Um, in, in, in England, I think now, there is a big push to get measles vaccines into kids because they're finding that people are not taking their children to get the measles jabs. They're not taking their children to get any of the childhood vaccines. And that can only be a good thing because what we saw in the United States in the first few months of the scandemic was that SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome, declined by, I think it was 60%, um, because people weren't taking their kids to get jabbed. And that is happening now. And it's become like a, a, a snowball rolling downhill. It's gathering steam. Oh, thank you, Linda. I will take a look at that later on. Linda's just shared something, and she said it's a glimmer of hope. I like glimmers of hope. Um, so this, this questioning, this lack of trust and belief in what we've been told by the media, by the government, and by the medical community is picking up steam. I'm just going to share this very, very quick um, video from Ted Cruz, who is a senator, I'm pretty sure, in the United States in Texas. And um, he was talking about why the military mandates have, must stop for vaccines. We now know the COVID virus is far less dangerous with young, healthy individuals than it is with people that are very elderly or people that have significant additional health problems. You look at the military. The military is a group of predominantly young, healthy individuals who engage in rigorous physical training to be at peak physical condition. It is a set uniquely not at serious risk from COVID. And yet, the Biden administration has fired thousands of active duty men and women. And the numbers vary. We've heard numbers from 3,400 to over 10,000. The truth of the matter is, we have no idea because the Biden administration refuses to answer the question. So as I said, there was a vote in the House of Representatives that passed by a very wide margin. 
to end the mandate for COVID jabs for the military. They haven't yet talked about ending the mandate for all jabs, but I think it's only a matter of time. We are starting to win. We are starting to get the conversation to where we want it, to where people are actually asking questions, inconvenient and uncomfortable questions for the government and for the medical community, and they're finding that these very people who they trusted simply don't have any good answers for them to these good questions. So what we need to do is keep the pressure up. We need to keep sharing information. We need to keep talking to people, whether it's our brothers or our sisters or our children, um, whether it's people that we work with or our neighbors. We need to very gently um, keep introducing information, keep sharing, because they will eventually come around. And when they do, it's, it's the kind of thing, and I know that you get this because everybody who's watching this has been there. Once you see this, you can't unsee it. And once you have seen it, you will never trust what you've been told by these criminals again. Um, so I really think that we need to keep talking about this. Don't give up hope. Don't stop trying and continue to hold the line because we are winning. And that is a very hopeful note, I think, to end the show on tonight. Um, as always, this will be up on Rumble, BitChute, and Brighty on tomorrow, and it will also be on Anchor, uh, Apple Podcasts, and the other podcast platforms that I can't even remember. But if you go to Anchor and look for Under the Wire, you will find all of the outlets where we are. And John, thank you so much. John said that he shared, and you're in the UK. So thank you so much for joining us. I don't even know what time it is there. It must be pretty early in the morning, I think. But I could be wrong. I'm terrible with that. And um, on that note, I am going to say good night. If I do get in touch with the lawyer for Baby W's family in New Zealand, I will be coming um, with a special broadcast later on this week. Uh, with any updates that I have. We wish the family and the baby all the best of love and health. And I know that you will join me in saying this. So um, thank you all so much from Australia, from Under the Wire, um, to all of you around the world, wherever you're joining us from. Thank you for coming onto the show tonight. And I'll see you again next week, if not sooner. Bye-bye. <laughs>